Welcome to Premiere the Play, bringing the theater from our homes to yours. Premiere the Play, new theatrical works from the pen to the page to the podcast. Welcome back. I'm Rebecca Lynn, and this is Premiere the Play. Before we dive into the episode, I first want to thank all of our followers and listeners. We are well on our way to our goal of 500 listeners by the end of the season. So I want to challenge you right now to think of someone who loves theater. I know somebody came to mind. Just letting them know about Premiere the Play helps get us the support we need to continue producing our next season. We can't do it without you, so thank you in advance. Okay, enough of that. Today, dive with us into the absurd ontological satire, Bodies, by E. Elia. Bodies stars Gregory Kokotis, Alexander Collins, Winter Seymour, Katie Lynn Stoddard, Nicholas Pryor, and Jeffrey Skomsky. One. Heads. I cannot think. I'm in want of a head. Heads. Two heads, one for each, so that we may work them mirror-like against the hard light of chaos. And inside both heads we shall have a brain. One in each. Indeed. On the inside of each head we shall have one brain. In total, two. Two brains with which to run ourselves about the world without falling. Only moving. Indeed. Moving wide across the broad earth, which extends like a pockmarked plate of solid dreams, endlessly. Until its end. I'm in want of a head. Heads. Two heads. We do not even have one. We are feckless. We have lost them. I saw you. You exchanged both our heads for so much worthless bunk which I cannot even think to operate for want of a head. Heads. Two heads. I have spent both of our heads on so much worthless bunk. Look at this. Bunk. It is bunk. I thought it was useful for whatever reason once, but I was wrong. You were quite wrong. I cannot tell the worth of things. If you were to give me an item of any sort, of any purpose at all, I would misunderstand it and take it for something else. Look at us. Look at us now. We are without heads, lying headless on the bare ground with so much worthless bunk ranged all about, out of our grasp, for we are without heads. Do you recall the hand? I recall the hand that came to us with many items. They seemed of considerable worth. They were not. This hand cheated us. This hand showed us things that were not as they seemed, that any fool would have seen for what they were if not for the seeminess of that hand. It was an unseemly hand. Both seamy and unseemly. For this hand indicated that each item was of considerable use for reasons that were hidden by the angle of this hand's thumb but that would be revealed in good time and that we could have any of them in exchange for just something of our heads. Which you gave it. I gave one or many parts of our heads, my head and yours, to this hand at the cost of much agonizing grief. Had you ever hacked away a part of your own consciousness before? I had not. It is agonizing to have the parts of you which consist of you, your memories and thoughts, your dreams and desires, gone, hacked away, like so much rag to a cat's claws, and also the outer layers of skin and skull which so encased all of it. It was agonizing. Agonizing. We are lucky. 
lucky. Lucky that we had quite accidentally prior to this secreted one or many parts of our minds into the other parts of our bodies for safekeeping, so to speak. And the hand did not notice. No, the hand did not notice. If it had noticed, it would have indicated as such and pursued the matter further, but it did not. And we are grateful for at least now we are able to think with our elbows. Dream with our toes. And recall with the long tubes of our lower intestinal tracts. For the mind is flexible above all. It may be deposited anywhere, so to speak, with great malleability, no matter the context. And we are lucky too. Lucky that this hand did not notice our mouths and voices. That we had copied also for safekeeping. By installing valves and lip-like cords directly into our diaphragms in case of emergency. Ours were great minds. Who would have thought to make preparations for any such eventuality as this one? <laughs> Ours. Ours did. And though we are substantially diminished, perhaps to only a fraction of our previous strength, still we are here, remembering our past, considering our predicament. Dreaming of solutions to it. Precisely. And our eyes? Our ears also. Our eyes and ears were both copied also, in addition to our mouths and voices, and our minds, but it was poorly done. Slapdash. It was slapdash how we hastily copied these things with only a cursory sketch. Cursory, but functional, and deposited them elsewhere outside of our heads. <sighs> Ours were great minds. Indeed great, but not omniscient either. This was beyond us. Our minds, though great, could not have known everything. This hand. Indeed, this hand was most unexpected when it came. We had not even sat down when it came. We had not even sat down to rest from our labors, our laborious cursory sketching and reconstruction of everything about our heads. Apart from our hair. Yes, apart from the hair on our heads, everything was reconstructed. For what use has hair? None. Hair has no obvious use apart from warmth on a cool night. And shade in the hot sun. And skulls also. We do not have our skulls. For what use is a skull without a soft brain to enfold? None. None. It has no use at all, so apart from our hair, our skulls, and also our noses. Which we lost. We lost our noses somewhere in the effort also. But apart from these things, we have everything in redacted form. <sighs> Ours were fine minds. Fine indeed. Do you recall their size and scope? They were immense. Immense. For in the lean dome of each of our skulls, there lived a cosmos all its own. And this cosmos was not composed of stuff and things, but rather perfect, unblemished forms. Each crystalline, unblemished by the erring, miring mass of stuff and things, which each moment ground against the outside of our mind. And the things that we could do. The things that we could do with our once fine minds. Do you recall that we once built a beautiful man? A sinuous hunk of muscle and bone with hair like muddy rushing water and eyes of sultry silken fire. Do you remember? I remember. And you remember that this man, this beautiful man, loved us like a lover should, plain and kind, with a passion that was plain and kind, for that was our intention. Our great minds planned it so perfectly, without errors, such that soon our beautiful man loved us too well, and we were undeserving of his affections. 
The purity of his affection became too pure for our imperfect selves, and we were at a loss. To be loved too well is a terrible thing. A terribly difficult thing. It scolds. And in the scolding heat of his affection, we aged too fast. Our bodies parched and crumbled in the scolding heat of it. So we built her hurriedly, beautifully. We hurriedly built a beautiful woman, beautifully, to divert his love away from us. Sweating in the wretched glare of his affection, our bodies crumbling in the heat, we sowed this beautiful woman from the dust and gave her life. For him we gave her life. And she was perfect also, like him. Both were perfect, he for her and her for him. They were perfectly matched and matchless also in perfection. Our fine minds made it so with such easy, hurried grace. And then they saw. They looked upon each other and saw that they were exactly matched. And then the moment that they recognized this fact, the very stuff which made them up belched and buckled inward. It was too much. Too much for all the massive stuff and things that we had bound perfectly, these imperfect things that we had perfectly bound in each, they broke. They could not bear the weight of totalized perfection wrought between these perfect souls that we had built with our fine minds. For all the virtues known to us, there is none so true as love itself, none so strong and heavy also, it broke them. It broke the things that which made them. And they shattered there and then. The man and woman whom we had made perfectly broke then to many pieces when they first looked upon each other. For we had planned it so with our fine minds. We had planned the breaking of these perfect souls precisely so that each shard each particle scattered straight to one of many thousand prefixed points in space, set within a circular zone that we had chopped upon the ground just prior to the event. And these particles, these shards of former perfect forms, now thronged in joyous sympathy, so that they made a sort of sense. And a message coalesced, it seemed, from the very mouth of God. For God is love, and love is God, and in the making of their perfect lives, the love this man and woman felt for one another was so unutterably complete that in its expiration, God himself expired also and muttered out these dying words that we did not understand. And we knew this also. We had schemed it so with our fine minds to vanquish God with his own love, that he had lent us thoughtlessly, as he had to every living thing, carelessly. The awesome fire of his infinite love we turned back against him deliberately to vanquish him and take his seat upon the throne of life and death eternal. We thought our minds better than his thoughtless love. They were not. For in his expiration, infinite loving harmony vanished also inconstantly at various times, so that everything became utterly, irredeemably itself. Now there is no this and that, but only this or that thing, each severed from the other, so that all things now live only as themselves, never others. The links between each thing, each moment, are now irreparably unfixed. And so it goes that you are there and I am here, and the space between ourselves there also, but of each of these things, of you and I and the space between ourselves are utterly distinct and severed from one another. To me, you are not really here. <laughs> and you are absent also. Our minds once seemed completely in control, but they were not. We are alone. Together, 
We are separate and alone. Parts of us separate also from our bodies. Parts of our bodies become separated also. Inconstantly. Inconstantly they drift away. Our legs. Arms. Hands. They drift away. And then return. And then the parts of us that were once here return renewed, emboldened by the blackness of a godless ether. Infrequently. Infrequently, our legs, arms, and hands return, encouraged by the absence of an omnipresent love. They are psychotic. They think only of themselves. That leg. That leg which came back treading, stamping. Your leg. It was mine. The leg was mine, and it returned, hopping, prodding, treading, stamping. It demanded with its pointed prodding things to stamp and tread. Which we gave it. We gave it anything we could to stamp and tread. Rocks and stones and clumps of earth. Our bodies also. It stamped upon our bodies, which we gave it. We laid our bodies low for it to stamp and flatten out our stomachs. And then it left. Satisfied, it left. Selfishly. As we whined and writhed about our flattened stomachs, it left blithely, without the slightest empathetic gesture, as if we never once were one. Ourselves that once were one. Gone. Now nothing adds to greater than the sum of all its parts. We have done it. With our fine minds that we once owned. We have desiccated nature. And broking it to sneaking, separate, selfish parts. Selfish leg. This sneaking hand. Your hand. Mine. It was my hand that tricked away our heads. Look at us. Look at us now. We are without heads, lying godless on the bare ground with so much worthless bunk ranged all about, out of our grasp, for we are godless and without heads. We have been fools with our fine minds. With our fine minds, we have been utter feckless fools. For we have killed God with his own infinite love and as a consequence lost legs, arms, a hand, and both of our heads to this same ruthless hand. I cannot see a remedy. Neither I. There are no flecks of God nearby, nor scraps of mind that we could furnish as replacements. There is that one there. It is out of reach. I might fetch it for us. You might fetch it for us? It is closer to me here on this side. If I strain across like so, I might reach it with the tips of my fingers. It is too far. It is unreachable. And besides, it occurs to me that, as both God and mind are intangible, even if I could reach it in any case, I would not be able to touch it. Try a little harder. It is a great effort. You are getting closer. Just an inch or so more. Keep going. I am almost touching it. Legs.
cannot move. I mean, what of a leg? Legs. Two legs. So that I may put one in front of the other and work them scissor-like, press through, across the earth to home, or that which I shall make at home. And on the end of these long legs I shall have two feet, one on each. Each leg. Indeed. On the end of each leg I shall have one foot. In total, two. Two feet, on which to spread the weight of my abstract form across the earth, without falling. Only moving. Indeed. Moving flat across the broad earth, which extends like a stolid, prostate sheet of solid air, endlessly. Until its end. I'm in want of a leg. Legs. Two legs. I do not have even one. I am reckless. I have spent them. I saw you. You spent them on so much worthless junk. Which I cannot even reach to operate for want of a leg. Legs. Two legs. I have spent both legs on so much worthless junk. Look at this. Junk. It is junk. I thought it was valuable for whatever reason once, but I was wrong. You were certainly wrong. I cannot tell the value of things. If you were to give me an object of any sort, of any aspect at all, I would mistake it for something else. Look at you. Look at me now. I am without legs, lying naked on the bare ground with so much worthless junk ranged all about out of my reach, for I am without legs. Do you remember the man? I remember a man who came to me with many objects. He claimed they were of considerable worth. They were not. He cheated me. He lied and said, this such and such a thing is of mere immeasurable value. For this particular reason that you shall understand at a later point, but you may have all of it in exchange for just something of your leg. Which you gave him. I gave one or many parts of my legs. At the cost of much excruciating pain. Have you ever hacked a part of your own leg away to give to another man? It is excruciating. And also my present circumstance, which I did not foresee. Over and over, for he repeated the trick many times. Until all of your legs were gone. And he left forever. With all of my legs in separate parts, packed in paper boxes, wrapped with silver ribbons, for that is what he insisted, and I did so. Wrapped and packed them carefully with great care, out of consideration for him. Which he did not return. Indeed. He has shown me no consideration whatsoever. Do you think perhaps that he meant well? I do not see how that could possibly be so considering all of the lies and total lack of consideration that he has shown towards me repeatedly on a number of different occasions, until there was nothing left for me to give, for I had given him all that he wanted. Your legs. Both of my legs, which I once used without the slightest thought of so easily gliding from this place to that or from that place to this high ledge or into or out of some hole or another or onwards, ever onwards, except to rest sometimes. Sometimes it was good to rest. After a long day's stalking. Indeed. A long day's stalking on two long legs. Would you say they were long? Unusually long. They would reach a great distance. Indeed. Sometimes, when the moon was unusually low, I could lie on my back and polish its chalky white cheeks with the tips of my toes. With the tips of your toes? With the tips of my toes. I could reach all the way to the moon. A low moon, for sometimes the moon is unusually low, and it seems almost to sit on the ground, right in front of you, on the horizon just there. And your toes would reach that far? Yes, but not so far, but far enough. Some way further indeed than a common leg would allow. Yours were not common legs. Oh no, indeed. They were most unusual, for their length as well as their strength. For sometimes, when I polished the moon with the tips of my toes, I would quite accidentally nudge the surface a little this way or that, and the moon itself would roll, momentarily of course, but roll it would, this way or that, squashing some unfortunate cloud or convention card. You know the sort that loiter idly besides the moon of a summer's evening. I know the sort. And a very pleasant sort of cloud or convention current they are, such that I would often feel quite desperately guilty of having squashed them momentarily, for they would not recover. They would be deceased, their corpses imprinted with its scarred surface. Can you imagine such a thing? To have the face of the moon imprinted onto all of your body, 
and then to be dead on top of that? Lacking any life? So that your lifeless body was now a paper-thin impression of the surface of the lifeless moon? And you would have nothing to do but drift, endlessly wrapping against the shoulders of all the other clouds and convention cards that were yet alive and merrily marking their way across the clear sky. Can you imagine such a thing? I cannot. For if you were a cloud or convention current, and you were to die, then your body persists. Because the bodies of clouds and convection currents do not decompose and disintegrate as ours do, for there is nothing for them to decompose or disintegrate into. There is only the clear air. One cannot disappear into thin air. No. It is a fact well acknowledged. Nothing may disappear in such a way. And so now, the sky is cluttered with the dead bodies of these clouds and convection currents. It has ever been thus. And I am responsible for the thinnest and flattest and ugliest of all of them. Such is the strength of my legs. The length and strength of your legs. Indeed. Are these not the two most valuable attributes of any leg? And mine possessed a surfeit of both. A surfeit of strength and length. So it was. And I have lost them for so much junk. You must feel like an utter fool. I do. Most certainly so. I feel like a fool without a mind. And legs. I cannot see a remedy. Me neither. There are no straps of wood nearby, nor sticks of stone that I could furnish as replacements. There is that one there. It is out of reach. I might fetch it. You might fetch it for me? I have legs and body, hands and feet. Why have you not mentioned this to me before? You never asked. I have no cause. And besides, my legs, body, hands and feet were so much less adequate than your own. At least until you lost your legs. And now your legs, being more than nothing, are certainly better than my own. Indeed, they are certainly more than nothing, but perhaps they're not quite something also. You lack the confidence. And can you blame me? All my life, I have accompanied you in one way or another, emotionally or intellectually perhaps, but never physically, such that all of my muscles have wasted and my bones have thinned to the width of a single strand of hair, and weaker also, weaker than a single strand of hair. All of my bones combined are weaker than a single strand of hair. So how are we to proceed? I cannot say. Are we to remain here forever? Stranded in useless muck until all of our faculties wither to dust, and our lives, also our lives, become withered as death itself? Until we decease and die? I cannot say. Neither I. Do you remember once the time before? I remember it well. Our mothers introduced us at a young age. Both of us were mere seconds old. We were seconds old. Our mothers introduced us, yet we could neither talk nor tell the light from darkness. I remember it clearly. I too. And yet, in spite of the fact that we could neither talk nor recognize anything at all, for the world was so very new to both of us. Still, our, our mothers beheld the fixing of a bond between our kindred spirits, such that any attempt to part us from each other would constitute a terrible violence, like the willful splitting of a single solid life in two. And so they agreed. So they agreed to leave us lodged together for the duration of our lives. And they too, they too remained lodged together as a single mother, comprised of two, but forming one. Like us. Like us, indeed. So, from the very beginning, can you remember that in order to survive and exist in the world, we were forced to act in synchronicity, and our mothers also, in the same fashion, to the extent that each of us specialized in certain areas to complement the whole? I remember. And can you remember that since your body, arms, and legs were so much stronger and longer than my own, especially your legs, that I took responsibility for all of those things that did not require an excess of physical strength or length of reach or both. For example, it was my responsibility to tell the hours of the day, using a watch or any other instrument for the measurement of the passing of moment to moment, such as the position of the sun or moon in the sky on a given day, or the creeping angle of shadows cast from tall rocks or upright persons such as yourself, when you could stand upright. Or the flow of sand, 
through the narrow opening of a specifically crafted receptacle. I remember it well. I remember standing tall, as erect as possible, perpendicular to the earth, and you crouching and scaring about the furthest reaches of my long shadow, measuring the angle of it as I stood in perfect stillness, barely daring to breathe, lest your calculations were disrupted and time slipped from our grasp. Indeed. Was that so long ago? Not so long, but not so short a time either. It's so very hard to tell. We have lost track. Indeed we have. And so you must remember that I also took responsibility for the handling of other abstractions, so to speak, such as the arc of each of our motions and timeless geometrical preconfigurations. And you, having received these designs, implemented them in physical substance, so that each movement of our bodies, of our hands, feet, head, eyebrows, lips, etc., achieved a certain stylish grace, so to speak. And we were lauded, were we not, for the apparently effortless grace of our general comportment. Oh, I remember that one. And the speed at which we accomplished these motions was quite phenomenal, such that each of our machinations, our plans and implementations of such plans, were barely visible to the naked eye. And this added to the great spectacle of our combined grace, so that we became almost mythic in our capacities to foreign and familiar observers alike. Indeed. We were lionized for it, in every general population, and we toured to perform for many private audiences that were uncountable in number. If I had tried to count them, I would have surely fallen ill with the effort of doing so, for who can count the grains of sand on a long, palmy beach, or the quantities of microbial life forms on a single living world? It will be impossible even for the mythic, supreme being that we once were. This was the scope of our popularity and the measure of our combined strength. And the quantities of money that we received from these operations were also quite inconceivable, so that the figures became abstractions themselves, much like the abstract geometrical configurations which seeded our original success. Indeed. And then we lost all of it. For one reason or another, all of the money that we received was so great that it amounted to nothing at all. It was a great shame to see all of our monies collapse into nothingness, for that is the law of all things. When infinity approaches, all conceivable quantities vanish. So too, our sixteen houses, our army of servants, our titles, our deeds of purchase of every manner of object, our rights, accomplishments, jewels, tassels, trinkets of every conceivable hue and matter, and, and matter, also, all of the things that we owned which were comprised of matter, they vanished also. And all that we were left with were the rocks and hills to which we were born, so did not own in any technical sense, and our bodies also, which, despite containing many marvelous and valuable features, not least among them are long and loose appendages, exemplified, surpassed even, by the excellence of your legs. These things were scant pickings indeed by comparison to the immense wealth that we once owned we lost in foolish ignorance of the law. Why did no one tell us of this law? Yes, it was quite inconsiderate for no one of the appropriate wealth and experience to inform us of this law. And we encountered many of such persons, knew them, befriended them often, and there were many, so many of them, that they seemed to flow and undulate as one complete living thing. And they were everywhere, also everywhere that we traveled or settled for a short time. The wealthiest of the wealthy crowded about, offered us innumerable gifts and comforts which we could not accept. For those gifts and comforts had already come into our possession moments before they were offered. As our wealth was increasing at such a rate as to encompass everything that we perceived at the instant of precognition. Quite so. But many of the relationships that we fostered with this wealthiest of elites seemed quite intimate and meaningful, did they not? They most certainly were. I remember one particular billionaires, a widow, was she not? Who seemed quite desperately lonely at the death of her husband and the expiration of her youth, so to speak, who spent much of her time stalking the opulent casinos in which we sometimes performed to private audiences in private rooms or auditoriums, built for the sole purpose of our exhibitions and there she sat, on any number of occasions, in the front row, 
her wrinkled mouth ever curling to the broadest of smiles, as we reached the crescendo of our act, and then, as we finished, her smile would fall, and her mouth puckered to a plaintive grimace, and a tear would roll from her left eye across her left cheek, skirt her plaintive lips and disappear behind her chin, just as another tear issued from her right eye, and followed the same mirrored course across the right side of her face. It was a sad sight to behold, one that moved me to act against it with much love and compassion. You did not even know her. I did not even know her. You did not even know her, yet still you stalked across the auditorium, wrenched through the blissful, grasping scrum of awestruck agilence, sat down beside her, and then delicately retrieved the tears from behind her chin to return them to her eyes. She was very grateful. So grateful that she immediately offered to exchange her stray tears for a lifetime of loving friendship, to which we, both of us, agreed without hesitation. Without hesitation. And where is she now? Where is she now? She is gone, evaporated with the rest of our wealth like so much dust in a storm. Did she warn us? Did she? Hell. And she knew. Too. She knew that our worth then converged ever so rapidly with that vicious vector of infinity, which falls like a guillotine on any extant quantity that strays across its shadow. This is a simple thing, is it not? An effortlessly simple thing. If we had known, we would have halted our operations and retired to the mellowest of dreamlike quasi-lives. Lives to which all of the best and most accomplished individuals retreat when their time is done. For they are lives without consequence nor any other of the heckling sorrows which make this life such a terrible fall from the high peaks of perfect nothingness. Do you remember the nothingness? I remember it perfectly. The memory of its perfect absence makes an easy balm in troubled times such as these. And it's with the memory of this perfect nothingness that you have managed to forgive and forget the harms perpetrated against us by the selfish, the cruel, and the inconsiderate. That I have. Its image courses through me like a liquid silver light, ever-giving, ever-loving. And I pass its perfect hollow goodness onto all of those responsible for the grave crimes committed against us, myself first amongst them. For they, ourselves included, were blinded to its guiding goodness for whatever reason. The round reality of our own real life eclipsed it from our sight. Its goodness is a nourishing fuel. With it, we will rise and resurge, and our bodies our legs and our arms and our meaty trunks shall restore themselves to ten times their former size. Ten times! And benedictions shall fall from our tongues and our palms and our open eyes into the mouths and eyes and open palms of our adversaries, and they shall rise with us, also in perfect sympathy, rosy in the pinkish silver light of its fine restorative emptiness. For we are lovers of nothing above all. It is nothing that we love. Pass me those sticks. These sticks of stone. And struts of wood. Pass me them here. I, I cannot reach them. Tap the swelling spring of nothingness and course it to the furthest reaches of your outslung form. I, I, I am doing so. You are doing it their own way. I cannot do it. Regard. See how I, now, wrench rivers from the inswelling spring and direct them through my body deep to its darkest microbial catacombs? Where all the dead things go to die. Indeed. There the voiding currents sweep the festering waste and turn it to some gainful use. Such as? Clothes, nails, hair, or any other dead thing that life makes live again. Those are not legs. Indeed not. Although from it I might fashion to approximate leg-like appendages. So the living pile the bodies of their dead kin into shapes and sounds resembling life always. Precisely. I can see a fine crust unfurling from the rim of your waist. Indeed. Now creases into two thick stumps where once your legs were thrust. Quite so. They are growing apace, each stump now thinning to a long pointed horn, smooth and brown, burnished with streaks of white and gold, the tips now curling to two flat hooves. And you are moving them also, straining your whole leg like horns against the dirt and stones, heaving your side-slung trunk incrementally forwards towards the sticks of stone and struts of wood, for which now you have no use. For I am already in possession of replacements for my once marvelous legs. Pull yourself up. 
With these sticks of stone and struts of wood, I shall do so. I shall choose one and jam it hard into the ground, and in so doing generate an upward-bearing force, which I shall ride like the moon rained, tied to some high perch, gyroscopically poised astride brown hips and long leg-like horns, and from there I shall take a long look round and choose a point of some salience, perhaps a tall familiar rock, or otherwise a favorite forest, or a lake well loved, to which I'll go smoothly on until I'll reach it, and there I shall sit down. <laughs> you are doing so. It is a laborious effort. You are swaying like the branches in a strong wind. I cannot hold to a fixed point. The horns are inanimate, lacking the swiddling pivots of a true leg by which all loose living things adjust themselves to the inconstant surface of a hard earth. I cannot stop moving. I'm in want of an uncle. Ankles? Two uncles, so that I might set myself upright upon the ground and work them axle-like, cross rumbling road and rolling hills and wide, declining plains, near and far ahead, and above these uncles, I shall have two knees, one on each. Each leg? Indeed. In the middle of each leg, I shall have one knee, with which to vault myself about the world, without falling. Only moving? Indeed moving fast across the broad earth, which extends like a thick stretch of prone flesh, endlessly. Until its end. I'm in want of an uncle. Ankles. Two uncles. I do not even have one. I am reckless. I have missed them. I saw you. You missed them completely. If you were to give me a task of any sort at all, I will do it wrongly. And in the attempt, clatter out a catalogue of hapless mishaps, each of which beget further mishaps, independently as if of their own free will, and so on and so forth, until millions upon millions of their contingent consequences descend upon us. As if they were choosing to do so, quite independently, and the largest and most grotesque among them, which are like planets to their struggling moons, are two ultimate errors, committed in desperate innocence. One, the loss of my legs, and two, my replacement of said legs with two wholly inadequate leg-like horns, which I have grown from a midriff with neither the proper thought nor care, so that they lack ankles and knees also, both of which I would need to operate any leg effectively, in addition to the myriad of sinew, muscle and cartilage that each of those things also require, to the effect that I am hobbled and burdened also burdened with the weight of two vast antlers, and hobbled by the continued absence of an adequate leg. Legs. Two legs. I am hobbled by the absence of my own two legs. Three. Trunks. I cannot stomach. I'm in want of a trunk. Trunks. Two trunks. One for both, so that we may work them, sponge-like against the burgeoning tide of edible or imbibable substances. And on the inside of these trunks, we shall have two chests, one in each. Each trunk. Indeed. On the inside of each trunk, we shall have one chest with which to heave ourselves about the world without gasping. Only breathing. Indeed, panting hard across the wide earth, which extends like a fat bulb of gaseous ether endlessly. Until its end. I'm in want of a trunk. Trunks. Two trunks. We do not even have one. We are gutless. We have squandered them. I saw you. You squandered both our trunks on so much tasteless gunk. Which we cannot even stretch to ingest for want of a trunk. Trunks! Two trunks! I have squandered both of our trunks on so much tasteless gunk. Look at this. Gunk. It is gunk. I thought it was digestible for whatever reason once, but I was wrong. You were so wrong. I cannot tell the nutritional value of things. If you were to give me a substance of any flavor, of any texture at all, I would mistaste it and take it for something else. Look at us. Look at us now! We are without trunks, lying gutless on the bare ground with so much tasteless gunk ranged all about out of our stomachs, for we are without trunks! 
you remember the game? I remember the game we played with many others. Its profits seemed of considerable worth. They were not. This game beat us. This game seemed to offer us prizes of remarkable taste and value for reasons that were concealed somewhere within many thick volumes of explanatory literature. And it promised that we could win any or all of these prizes in exchange for just something of our trust. Which you gave it. I gave one or many parts of our trunks, our stomachs, our hips, and our chests to this game at the cost of much torturous detachment. Had you ever sliced away a part of your own core before? I had not. It is torturous to have the many parts of you which pin your head, legs, and arms together snapped. Sliced away. Not like so much cake to a rat's jaws. And also the outer layers of porous fatty tissue which so enwrapped all of it. We are unlucky. Unlucky. Unlucky that we had quite deliberately prior to this made no preparations whatsoever. None. Deliberately. We had not planned anything of use for this particular circumstance. This game. Indeed. This game was most addictive when it came. We had not even set down when it came. We had not even set down the most basic plan for our gaming, our fecklessly reckless gambling of everything about our trunks. Apart from our cocks. Yes. Apart from the cocks in our crotches, everything was gamed away. For what use have cocks? None. They have no use at all. Apart from the excretion of fluid waste and the intimate attachment of one being to another for no good reason whatever. Besides pain or procreation or the cementation of romantic love. Yes. Apart from those reasons, there are none. None. And there is no use now also for any other of our dissembled parts. For our legs, arms, and heads, flail discordantly this way or that, lacking any central nervous system to point them to a purpose. That we lost. Yes, we lost them also. Our purpose and our central nervous systems, which we once used without the slightest thought, oh, so easily gliding from this aim to that, from that shy gesture to this proud act, or onwards, ever onwards, except to ingest sometimes. Sometimes it was good to ingest a long day's instructing. Indeed. A long day's instructing of two pliant bodies. Would you say they were pliant? Unusually so. They would accept a great deal. Indeed. Sometimes when the stars were unusually bright, I could lie on my back and soak up all of their crystal white light with the front of my tongue so that each of them dimmed to a deep gray speck, and the night became truly and totally dark. With the front of your trunk? With the front of my trunk, I could soak up all of the crystal white light from the stars at night. For sometimes the stars are unusually bright, and they seem to sit right at the rim of a cloudless sky, atop of its sphere just and your trunk would accept that much. Yes, but not so much, but more than enough. A great deal more indeed than a common trunk would allow. Hers were not common trunks. Oh no. Indeed, they were most unusual. For their absorptive properties as well as their strength of purpose. For sometimes when I soaked up all of the crystal white light from the stars at night, I would quite accidentally pull them. By the strands of their starry white light, I would pull them just a fraction closer to the earth, cramping some unfortunate electromagnetic field or radiation from them. You know the sort that Dali idly by the stars for which it's needed. I know the sort. It's a very pleasant sort of electromagnetic field or radiation current they are. 
such that I would often feel quite desperately anguished at having cracked them. So they would not recover. They would be dismembered, their corpse severed by the strands. Those strands of light that I pulled to us tightly, cramped and shivered through them. Can you imagine such a thing? I cannot. To have the scattered light of the stars etched into your body and then to be dead, on top of that, lacking any light, so that all of your body was now a mangled impression of the surface of the heavenly vault and and you would have nothing to do but oscillate aimlessly rushing against the shoulders of all of the other electromagnetic fields or radiation currents that were yet alive and merrily weaving their way across the dense vacuum of space. Can you imagine such a thing? I cannot. For if you were an electromagnetic field or radiation current and you were to die, then your spirit persists inside of your body. For there is no other heaven to move to. One cannot move from heaven to heaven. No. It is fact well acknowledged. There is only one heaven, so one cannot depart to another. And so now the heavens are cluttered with the disjointed dead bodies of these electromagnetic fields and radiation currents, their spirits snagged inside. It has ever been thus. And I am responsible for the most cut, mangled, and maddened of all of them. Such is the strength of my trunk. Sponge in the strength of your trunk. Are these not the two most valuable attributes of any trunk? And ours possessed a surfeit of both. A surfeit of sponge and strength. So it was. And I've lost them for so much gunk. You must feel like an utter fool. I do. Most certainly so. You're like a fool without mind and trunk. I cannot see a remedy. Neither I. There are no blocks of flesh nearby, nor nests of bone that you might furnish as replacements. There is that one there. It's too smooth and gunky. I might clean it for us. You might clean it for us. As it happens, I have a rag to hang. Where? Here. By my hand. Use it on that block of flesh or nest of bone. I cannot. You can. I cannot. Those. My fingers? Curl them about the rag. I haven't the nerve to tell them. Borrow mine. Those are mine. Those nerves beside your hand. These? They're mine. The parts of my nerves run still to it, to the ground beneath your hand. Can you see it? These wisps. These wisps of ravaged webs splayed across the earth. They're yours. They're mine. And mine too. And yours. Your nerves too. Those discarded parts, those, those parts discarded from our trunks run clearly across the ground. From the base of our skulls, they run out to all of our limbs. Or some of them. Not this hand. No, not that hand. Yours. Mine. Your hand is numb, twitching nerveless by the rag. This rag. This rag, which also lies a hair's breadth from two or three wisps of nerve. My own nerves, which in turn waver gently in the breeze. What breeze? Our breath. Our breath breezes them gently as they fray about the ground. Your nerves. Mine. Blow them. Blow them to your hand. I cannot do so. had lungs with which to blow, but we lost them with our trunks. Lucky that we breathed instead with one discarded half a lung each. We each have half a lung to breathe, but not enough to blow. No. And how are we to proceed? I cannot say. Are we to remain here forever? Stranded in useless muck and 
until all of our faculties wither to dust, and our lives also, our lives become withered as death itself until we decease and die? I cannot say. Do you remember the round? I remember the round we played with many others. It was part of the game. Which we lost. The game we lost. It was a terrible game. And that round, worst of all. There were six on the table. Six. And in our pockets, four. We had to lie. We had to pretend that we had six. Or more in our pockets also. We failed. We lied and failed. We tried. We tried our hardest. We tried to make it seem our pockets bulged with six or more. Many more. We made our pockets bulge so wide that our very thighs seemed pregnant. Hmm. Which they were. They were, indeed. For in each of our pockets we also harbored embryos which grew and grew. Rapidly. In the warm, moist conditions of the insides of our pockets, Four vast babies grew rapidly. We had not planned it, so. No, it was quite accidental. A total coincidence that we had quite absently placed four fertilized embryos directly into our pockets and also the necessary organic matter to feed and fledge them fully. It would have been fortunate. Yes, it would have been. If not for the others in that game. Or guessed correctly despite our efforts. Our efforts were immense. Do you recall their grace and style? They were spectacular. Spectacular. For nine rapid months, we raised a dazzling spectacle of blank sterility to divert them from our long delight at forming children on the insides of our clothing. We bore these children. We did. We bore these children out from the insides of our clothing. Great pain. All the while pretending that our pockets bulged with six or more. Much more. Uh, it was spectacular. And then we raised them also. Secretly, we raised four children up from birth to rugged adolescence. Secluded from the other players in this game by the broad bulk of both of our trunks, these children grew to independence. And we loved them. Fully. Secretly. We loved them with a careful, rapid love. Without any plan whatever. No. We had made no plans whatever for the rapid raising of these children and the concealment of it also from the other players in this game. We made it up. As we went on, we made it up with great spectacle. No one would have guessed it so unless they knew. Did they? How could they? In the face of so much style and grace. We affected with much style and grace an air of such inscrutable sincerity. To convince them of a desperate lie. By then, all of the upper parts of our trunks were gone. Our children free of the throne. We stood to win it all. We held their gaze unblinking for such an age until our children aged also. Silently, they died of romantic or career-induced complications. All of them, all of our children died one by one of romantic or career-induced misfortunes. Secretly, from a great distance. They were far away, but close also in touch. They wanted us to win. As we grieved the passing of our four children that we had borne from the insides of our pockets, we held their gaze unblinking. We held the gaze of every other player in this game, unblinking through all the bearing, raising, and mourning of the passing of these children. And we did it for them. Also, we carried on despite ourselves for the memory of our beloved children. Whom we had raised rapidly with such an honest, careless love. 
we held their gaze until the end, until the round was done. And beyond that round which we lost, we carried on regardless. To honor them. To honor our dead children who loved us and wanted us to win. But we did not. No. We lost. We lost it all. Both the upper and the lower parts of our trunks. All of them. Our hips, our stomachs, our chests. All of them were gone. Our children also. That another round, we would have won. But they knew. Somehow. Somehow they saw. You. You saw. You to whom we are talking. You were the players in this game. You who listens, twitching, eyeless. Or you who watches, shiftless, scratching at the surface of our self-inflicted suffering. Which you inflamed by cheating at this game. We would have won. If not for you, we would have won. We'll find a way to beat you yet. You'll see. You watch us. We'll commandeer our limbs, each of them. Others also. Yes, other people's limbs also, many of them, that we've found scattered in the muck and gunk that you exchanged for both our trunks. We'll commandeer them also. In one great raging bulk, flurrying with arms, legs, and heads. Our heads. And legs and arms, all of them are ours, and we will sew them up as one with these fine nerves and other things. Our nerves. Our nerves and other things also. We will sew them through these many thousand arms, legs, and heads and pull them tight together so that we become this punching, kicking, butting beast of bloody vengeance. We will have it. We will, we will have our vengeance. And with it, stamp and thump and ram you down to death. Vengeance for the loss of our children and our trunks. Which you'll return. You will. You will return our trunks first and forthwith. And then, our children, when you journey down to death, you'll come back up with them from death. You'll return our children to us from death, and then you will go back to death also. For cheating at this game. To beg death for mercy, for shamming us this game. You will not beg us. No, our ears will stop her to your screams. You'll beg death in person for her pity. Which she'll not give. No. She won't, for she is merciless like us. And there you'll sit, forever, in death, with death forever, just as you've sat dealing death to others also, in this game that you've bent to win falsely. Selfishly. Selfishly, you bent and broke this game, just as death does to every living thing. But you are not death, and you will suffer and die for faking what you were. Pass me that block. This block of flesh? Or nest of bone. Pass me it. Pass me it here. It's too smeared and gunk. Use the rag. The rag by my hand? Yes, your hand. Your hand that twitches nerveless by the rag. Blow these nerves, my nerves, into it so that we may grasp the rag and use it to wipe away the useless gunk from that block of flesh or nest of bone. And then also every other gunk smeared thing that's scattered all about useful things like arms and legs. And other people's heads and trunks. And legs and arms also. Other people's legs and arms and heads and trunks and our own that we may thread them all together and have our bloody vengeance. I cannot blow. You can! Together, we can blow my nerves into your hand by breathing sharply at it. At this hand? Your hand, yes. Blow by breathing sharply to it. It is almost working. Heave at it just a fraction harder. I am doing so. almost working.
Bodies was written by E. Elia and directed and designed by Padre Crisofuli. The cast includes Gregory Kokotis, Alexander Collins, Winter Seymour, Katie Lynn Stoddard, Nicholas Pryor, and Jeffrey Skomsky. You can access digital programs at deanproductionstheater.com forward slash premiere hyphen the hyphen play to find out more about the cast and crew and our other upcoming shows. And join us next week as we follow a Black American Army deserter to the Klondike Gold Rush right here on Premiere the Play. You've been listening to Premiere the Play, featuring new plays from around the world. Produced by Dean Productions, a 501c3 nonprofit. Like what you hear? Visit our website for past episodes and to make a tax-deductible donation.